And I would say the bicycle, it's like, it's great and all, but it's just a machine. So if it works for you, make it work for you. And if it brings you together with other people that you get along with, that's awesome. But there's no like one way to do it. Hey, what's up? This is Kat. Welcome to the Joyride. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Joyride, a celebration of women who ride bikes. My name is Kat Caparello, and I am in love with riding bikes and with helping break down barriers to encourage more everyday women to try on riding bikes, because I believe in the transformative power of the bike in our personal lives, in our communities, and the world at large. This is episode number six of The Joyride, and even though this is still a tiny little baby podcast, it's kind of a big episode, and that's because it was with none other than Ellie Blue. You may remember Ellie's name mentioned in the first two episodes of The Joyride. Ellie is a transportation advocate, an editor, and author who is pretty much publishing the feminist bicycle revolution. Her own books include Everyday Cycling and, most recently, Bikeonomics, How Bicycling Can Save the Economy. A smart look at how we get around, how we spend our money, and the real costs of transportation. You can find the links to her work and anything else we discuss in the show notes at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride 006. Again, girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride 006. And by the way, the links that you find there, they go right to Microcosm Publishing. They're not Amazon affiliate links. I know you might have a Prime account, and Amazon might just be easier because it's already got your address in there or whatever, but please do what you can to support Small Press. This is innovative, quality stuff that's handcrafted with care at an indie publishing house, and your direct support means a whole lot more to them than it does to Amazon. Oh, and by the way, we had just a few Skype issues during this recording. Um, Ellie was quite the trooper as she was broadcasting from deep in the heart of microcosm publishing. Um, so please don't mind the occasional fuzziness. Uh, we really did our best. I hope you enjoy it and follow along at home at those show notes. And now let's get on with it. Ellie Blue. Ellie Blue, I'm so excited that you are here with me today on the Joyride podcast. Thanks for taking the time. Well, thanks so much for having me on. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm really excited that you're here. I've been a big fan of your work for for a few years now, longer than I care to admit right now, because I get a little bashful. Oh, but well, thanks for saying so. There's some, there's some fun full circle-ness that's happening right now, so I appreciate that. Nice. So you're here in Portland, Oregon, but this is not where you grew up. No, it's true. I grew up in a suburb of New Haven, Connecticut, so that's not the fancy part of Connecticut. Um, I grew up surrounded by strip malls and suburbia, and uh, most kids in that situation discover punk rock or they just kind of go with the flow. Um, I didn't do either. I discovered bicycling and got really obsessed with different kinds of transportation, and that was what made living in that environment makes sense to me. And it's also what drove me to eventually move to Portland where it's a little bit easier to get around and do stuff. So you learned how to ride a bike outside of New Haven. Do you remember that experience? I do. I was actually 20 when I learned and I, I was living in New Haven at the time and it was about four miles to visit my parents and it would take maybe an hour, maybe more on the bus. 
just because the bus didn't come except once an hour, if that. So there was a lot of standing around and waiting. So I started just walking, which also took about an hour or so. Um, and then I finally found my old bicycle that I had as a kid that I was actually too scared to ride when I was a kid. Um, it was still in my parents' garage in fine condition. I took it to the bike shop and they put some air in the tires and I had the seat down all the way. I didn't know anything. And I would just ride back and forth on the sidewalk whenever I wanted to visit them. And then I started going everywhere and raised my seat and learned a little bit about how to do it and made some friends, a few friends who rode bikes also. And it was just the most fun thing. It was like, I could go everywhere I wanted to freely and it didn't take forever and it didn't cost money. And I wasn't always like wondering when I would get anywhere. I could get to work much more quickly. I could go grocery shopping on the way home. So it, it was really freeing to find that vehicle. So what did that what did that look like? Do you remember what that bike looked like? Yes, it was a purple step through. And um, it was light purple. I remember that. <laughs> and it might have had some pink decals on it. It was like the bike that you get a kid for Christmas when they're 10. <laughs> so how how long did you have that before you got... I mean, I'm assuming that you don't still own that. I don't know what happened to that. That might actually have returned to my parents' garage. I don't know what happened to it. No, it's not there anymore. You know, that it, it went the way that bikes go. <laughs> then when I moved to Portland, I got a new bike. It went and... to some bike farm somewhere, <laughs> and it's rolling around on its own, I'm sure. Exactly. So, you, so when you moved out here, you went and found a new bike then when you moved out here? I think I, well, I wouldn't say a new bike. Um, new to you. A friend, I'm trying to remember. I think I was walk, I was going to the grocery store and um, there was one of those bikes locked to a pole and it had a sign on it that said $25 or best offer. And so I called the number and that was my bike for a while. And then that bike got stolen because I didn't have a lock for it. And so I got another bike in a similar situation. And then a friend got back from Burning Man and gave me her Burning Man bike, which was like the worst bike. Um, and then eventually um, I met somebody who worked at the community cycling center and she sold me her project bike that she had learned to be a bike mechanic on, um, which was another step through. It was a, like an old 50s Schwinn. It was a much nicer bike, not an apartment store bike. And I rode that for a long time. And then I finally got an old mountain bike on Craigslist for $200, which seemed like a lot to spend on a bicycle. And I also bought a lock and, you know, um, and then, yeah, that's, I actually still ride that bike. I converted it to an extra cycle. So what, um, so how many do you have now? How many bikes do you have in your, your stable? Is it just the one or? Um, that's the one I mostly ride. I have a Brompton that I use when I travel. Um, it's easy to take on the train or throw in the back of the car. And, um, I still have that yellow Schwinn, but I don't ride it very much. I normally just lend it to house guests. So that's it. So you're, I mean, you're obviously, or maybe not obviously, but you're a commuter. So you are like, you're solely by bike only. Uh, Sometimes I walk, sometimes sometimes I walk. work. It's about six miles though. So it takes a really long time. Not driving. That's for sure. No, I don't. I've, I've never actually owned a car. Um, so do you do any other riding other than commuting? Mm, I mean, yeah, I mean, like when I go visit somebody or when I go grocery shopping or if I have like an errand to run or a meeting or like um, going to a movie on the weekend, I ride my bike for all of that stuff. It's not like, um, fitness rides and uh, doing that kind of roadie stuff. 
No, I mean, I actually, the last time I did that was when I ran into you on the Springwater Corridor. My coworker invited so me random. to go for a bike ride, and I was like, sure. So we went on a bike ride, and it was fun. Like, we talked and rode, and, but I don't normally do that. I've, I've tried to a few times. I've gone bike camping. I've, I rode in a um, randoner ride once, um, and I, had, I used to have a sporty little road bike, and I would try to go out and ride it, like, recreationally but it just I don't know it doesn't really that's not really fun for me honestly <laughs> like I don't like exercising for the sake of exercising I, don't, yeah, I could take it or leave it but I love my the thing I love most about biking honestly is when I have furniture to move and I can like figure out a way to carry like a couch or a giant bookcase or something really heavy on my bike that's I have amazing. a tra- I have a I have a really big trailer for my extra cycle so um it usually involves that and that is kind of the best workout there is and it's like I don't know I feel like I'm actualizing my best self when I'm carrying a gigantic bookcase that should not fit on a bicycle so so I I read um I read one of your essays that talks about that and I'll um figure out like what to link up in the show notes to get people as close to that as possible but like when what gave you the audacity to think you could do that Mm, the audacity I guess that's not too too crazy of a word to use (laughs) even in this context no I don't know it's funny to think of it that way it was more I mean it really started out more as problem solving and then it kind of turned into a little competitive sport with myself like what else can I carry on a bicycle and then um when I started dating my partner Joe he also had that um extreme interest in carrying everything on a bicycle and not just interest but necessity you know and he was really taking it to the next level like he was building out his bookshop so he was carrying like huge mounds of lumber and building supplies by bike and my feeling about that was I bet I can carry more than he can so you know when we would go dumpster diving we would find wood by the side of the road and you just needed to figure out a way to sort of lash it on and bring it with you so that um I would say that yeah we we majorly egged each other on in that um but yeah, I don't know if I would call it audacity or not. It probably looks like it from the outside. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think sometimes from the outside, it's kind of like to the idea of somebody being able to move a mattress or a couch by bike in most of the country or outside of like the major, you know, metro bike friendly cities. It's kind of like, really? You could do that? What's the um what's the most unlikely thing you've carried by bicycle? Um the most unlikely thing I've carried by bicycle uh was actually I was going to ask you a similar question. Um <laughs> I think for me right now it's it's really not it's so vanilla for everybody for anybody in this town but um bringing my dog places oh. um that I have like this little the Timbuktu mutt mover backpack <laughs> which he liked a lot more on my other bike because I was more upright. But now that I'm in more of an aggressive position, he's, he's not into that. Uh, he's a little too big for it too, I think. But I just carried like a big sack of cat food on my bike the other day. But it was like, I don't know, I'll just throw that on there. It'll, it'll, it'll work. I think um, that's pretty glorious. Yeah, well, I mean, it worked. I was, I was needed to get it done. So, um, so... And in terms, so the question I wanted to ask you is like, what is the most fun thing you think you've carried on a bike? Well, I would say my date. 
Um, so I don't know, a few years ago, he was having pretty serious health problems. That's actually why we got the big trailer so I could take him to, so we could leave the house and go out and do things together. Um, so we strapped one, one day it was Christmas and it was like kind of the low point of his illness and we were both pretty depressed, but we decided to go to a movie. So we strapped an Ikea chair to the trailer and he sat in the chair and his service dog sat on his lap and both of them were dressed in hot pink and it was like this amazing beautiful Christmas day it was like warm and sunny and we you know I bike very slowly when I'm carrying a lot of weight on my trailer so we were biking very slowly through these neighborhoods and like everybody's there were these huge extended families that were all out walking along and they all stopped to look and wave to us and there was just like this kind of incredible holiday spirit about it that really lifted my mood I, I like I still think about that when I need to like you know make myself feel better or need to like give myself some perspective and you know it was like watching like little kids and grandparents just who weren't from Portland obviously just being like completely delighted by the sight of us going by and not in a way where they're like seeing us as a spectacle but more in this sort of like friendly community way so I would say that was my favorite um moment or I guess the moment of cargo biking I'm most proud of your your most fun stuff mm-hmm what do you, um, so you have like a six mile commute, like what do you consider, like what do you carry with you all the time? Like what's an every ride carry type thing for you? Well, you know how like when you have a purse, like any woman listening to this will understand, like if you have a small purse, you carry your phone, your wallet, your chapstick, whatever you need, you fill that up. If you have a big purse, you also fill that up, <laughs> even if it's not necessarily the stuff you need. And I have a big bike. So I always t- seem to have way more stuff with me than I actually need. Um, but I would say I have a bag. I, I have a I have a purse that's pretty large that fits right in the extra cycle pannier. And um, it has, like, my laptop and a water bottle and usually an extra sweater. Um, you know, I guess normal stuff to have in your bag that you need every day. Lunch sometimes if I really have my act together. And then the beauty the beauty of it is I can like bring home a box of books if I need to, or I can, um, you know, find a something by the side of the road that I happen to need very badly and just pop it on my bike and keep going. Um, for those that might be listening outside of Portland, there's a phenomenon known as free boxes here where people put out all kinds of, all kinds of stuff, um, in their free boxes or in these little like libraries almost that can, How's uh like used stuff swapping? I don't know. It's pretty interesting. Do you have something you wanted to say about free boxes? No, I just forget that they don't exist everywhere. So, what is your level of mechanical comfort with the bike? I would say that I am not comfortable as a mechanic, but I can do all of the things that need to be done in daily life. Like I can change a flat tire if I need to. I much prefer not to. Like I'll take my bike to the bike shop. It's totally worth it to me to spend $15 and not wrestle with my tire. Um, I can adjust my brakes. I can kind of do cleaning and maintenance as needed. I can diagnose what's wrong and if it's something I can fix or if I should take somewhere. Um, that's that's about it. I, I went through a period about 10 years ago when I was first getting into biking and I was first getting into feminism and I was like, all women should be able to fix their own bikes. And, um, I set about learning to fix mine and I'm glad that I did, but I also think that it's like 
you shouldn't necessarily have to do everything by yourself in order to ride a bike. And kind of the beautiful thing about biking is that it's like, it can be barrier free. You don't have to, um, you don't have to like meet some standard of ability or mechanical ability or anything like that, you know? Yeah. And I think it's great to have, um, to have a lot of access to bike shops where you can just do that because at this point I just much prefer to have the guys at my local shop do the thing that they do as opposed to me taking the time to do it. Um, but not everybody is, is in that kind of a privileged position where, you know, there's shops on, you know, every few blocks, et cetera. So. Um, I know, right. When you think about it though, like if you own a car, everything costs like 200 or $300, like every single thing you do. And it has to be done by a mechanic. So the way I see it, like being able to maintain my own bike at all is like, awesome but like just being able to bring it somewhere even if it's a pain in the neck to bring it somewhere and pay you know between 20 and 50 dollars is like you know that's that's a that's a low cost to pay for transportation in the grand scheme of things i'm i'm curious like how especially because of your history of of activism or advocacy depending on the perspective like how safe do you feel riding how safe do i feel riding I feel safer riding a bike than I do in a car. And that's, I think, just really honestly my own personal um, prejudice. I mean, I don't know. I get car sick and being like on the freeway, is, I find completely alarming. Um, and I feel safer being in charge of a bike than I do being in charge of a car, like just not worrying about various kinds of um, like what might happen, you know, if I space out for a minute is really a big deal. Um I honestly, like, when I'm walking, like, when I'm crossing a busy street on foot, I don't feel as safe as when I'm crossing it by bicycle. Um, but there are definitely times when I'm biking when, you know, and there's certain roads I, I bike on regularly where I'm like, well, this sucks, you know, and it doesn't feel that great. But I don't know about, like, what does it mean to feel safe or not feel safe? Um, I feel confident in my skills, that, and I didn't used to. But honestly, I felt the safest before I was good at biking, before I had any skills, <laughs> like, because I didn't realize, like, I had, I just had no idea, you know, I didn't know what to do. I was, I was behaving in a completely unsafe manner. Um, looking back, I know that, and I'm lucky that I didn't get hit um, or just, like, fall off my bike and hurt myself. But, um, but yeah, there was a period when I, like, kind of started to read about biking and get involved in advocacy and really like learn more about what can happen and what does happen and that was when I really started to feel unsafe for a while but then I kind of like got past that and was like well life is dangerous so I'll just keep doing what I want to do um yeah like there are all kinds of ways that weird things can happen so you may as well do the things that you want to do exactly yeah and like riding a bike is a lot safer I mean in terms of like if you count safety as like living a long and healthy life, then riding a bike is one of the best things you can do for yourself in that regard. Being active is really, really good for you. Um, just being active on a daily basis, even if it's not like athletic, even if it's not like a huge workout, like just using your body and being free to go places and being able to, you know, do what you need to do in your life in a manner that's efficient and not always being stressed out like like there are places where biking is really stressful um but in a lot of other places like not just in portland but in a lot of places which don't have a ton of traffic or where you don't have to be on a highway essentially to get anywhere biking is actually a lot less stressful than driving and stress is 
the least safe thing I think there is out there. So I wanted to ask, like, tell me about the genesis of the of the name Taking the Lane. Sure. Um, I started a blog and I, at the time, I was sort of bedeviled with um, arguments with vehicular cycling advocates. Um, vehicular cycling is this philosophy that the main proponent of it is a guy named John Forrester. He is a retired engineer from Southern California, and he wrote a book called Effective Cycling. It's all about um, his philosophy is to be a good, to be a cyclist, to be on the road at all. You need to be able to drive your bicycle in the same way that you would drive a car, and you actually need to be very highly skilled. And he was a racer, so he would, you know, his part of his philosophy is you need to be able to go very fast, and you need to be very confident and very like aware of your position and basically like never use a bike lane, never use the shoulder, only use the lane of traffic, even if you're on like a 50 mile an hour highway. And for some people, that's their only option. And his techniques are actually very good. Like the techniques he teaches work for riding that way. But where, you know, the argument is, is like vehicular cycling advocates often advocate against having any kind of change in the road that might make it easier to bike on if you're not willing to bike in the lane of traffic at 50 miles an hour. So there's these arguments that rage. And I mean, of course, I'm very slow on my bike and I'm always carrying a lot of craps and I'm not going to take, I'm not going to go on the highway at 12 miles an hour or less with a trailer with a a couch on it. That's never going to happen. Like, or even just with groceries, you know, um, and people who have kids on their bike, they're not going to do that. It's only people who are like really able to go fast and able to be sporty and really have, or really have the necessity to do that, who are able to do that. So there's a basic equity argument to be made against effective cycling and vehicular cycling. Um, and I named my blog taking the lane because it's kind of, I thought I wanted it to be like taking back space from that very patriarchal argument about like, how people should ride bicycles and how riding bicycles should be the specialized thing, wearing specialized clothes for like very athletic people. Um, so I wanted, I wanted to take that back. So, um, and I wanted to also make a statement about like the women around me that I was seeing in my own experience of like taking over this space and owning this space that wasn't necessarily seen as no, it's not, that wasn't necessarily something that we or other people saw as being for us and redefining it and basically rethinking who public space is for, who streets are for, who belongs there, doing what, in what vehicle, going where. So that's the long, the long version of that name. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I was, uh, had always sort of made some assumptions as to what that meant and also used it as inspiration for at points in time when I do not feel the safest or when I feel like I need to be taking up as little space as possible, because I think we do that is like how Mm -hmm. little space can we take up? Um, like that's not safe for us, uh, for the vehicles that are trying to pass us for cars with doors that open. Um, so sometimes you just have to take the lane and that's, uh, part of like, an assumption that I had made about like why it was, you know, why you named, um, that line of work (laughs) in that way. So it's, it's cool to hear it from like your actual perspective as to where that came from. Yeah. And I, you actually summarized that way better than I did. So thank you. Um, tell me about dinner and bikes. What's, what's dinner and bikes. 
Dinner and Bikes is a tour that um, I've done every year. It's my partner, Joe, and I. Um, he's a documentary filmmaker as well as a book publisher. And so for a while, he was showing movies that he made. We recently started making movies together called a series called Groundswell um, that are short documentaries, like two minutes or five minutes or 10 minutes about people using bicycling as a social justice tool in different communities. Um, so we show those movies and we lead an audience discussion. And we also have a vegan chef, Joshua Plug, who comes with us and he cooks a feast for everybody to enjoy while they talk about difficult issues like race and gender and economics and bicycling. And we go from town to town. We we all get in a van together. We don't do it by bicycle, unfortunately. Um, but we go and we do it in a different city every night for a month every year. And this year actually is going to be our last year. Uh, we are going on the West Coast. Do you have that schedule yet? Like, do you know what that looks like yet? Yeah, if you go to dinnerandbikes.com, um, we have a page up with our dates. But it'll be June 1st through, I think, 20th. And then we might do another trip in November, kind of depending on if people, if, if the events come through or not. We'll link that up. Thank um, you. So uh, a couple, I have a couple fun questions. We still have some time. That's cool. <laughs> the Skype is like killing me right now. Mm -hmm. You're doing a really great job. I know. With like trying <laughs> to hang out through it. I appreciate that. Um, so if, if, uh, if you could go for a ride with anyone, anywhere, living or dead, who would you go with, where, why, et cetera? Um, I would like to carry Patti Smith on the back of my extra cycle while she played songs about what we were passing that she made up on the spot. That's my fantasy. That's fantastic. Bike ride. That's fantastic. Where's the uh, your favorite place that you've ridden bikes? Favorite place that I've ridden bikes? I would have to say um, getting tours of different cities that we visit on the Dinner and Bikes Tour where we travel and do events. Um, just being shown around by local people there is always really, really satisfying and fun and interesting. And it's like if you go to a city and you get on a bike and you start going, whether it's Portland or Austin or wherever, you're very likely to have a bad experience unless you have somebody local who can show you around and um, really show you the best of their city. So that's, yeah, like I've seen cities um, – that I think otherwise I might not have thought of as bike-friendly cities that just seemed like amazing bicycle paradises like Tucson and Houston. And um, um, I'm trying to think where else recently we've been, you know, some cities in Oklahoma recently and then just had a really great time exploring them um, because local people were willing to take us out and show us the best, the best of where they live by bike. That's right. We were like randomly both in Oklahoma at the same time too. Oh yeah, that's right. How was your trip? That was really weird. It was great. It was uh, it was for a wedding, so it was really lovely, and I got to take a selfie in front of a penny farthing, and that was fun. Because when I see a penny awesome. farthing, I have to take a selfie in front of it, I guess. So that's just how that goes. This is maybe this is maybe like a little a little Leah here, but like, what's your favorite snack? You got a favorite like bike snack? 
favorite bike snack. Um, I mean, you or you don't go out like riding that much that you need to like <laughs> replenish your nutrition while you're out, right? Yeah, but I I feel the burn. I like I I like go and I bike to work and then I forget to eat breakfast and then I'm hungry. You know, that's it's definitely there. I I when you're carrying a lot of weight on your bicycle, you also need to eat more, and I tend to forget that. So I carry Lara bars as my emergency snack. Um, you know, bananas, I would say, are my favorite bike snack. They just don't travel well. Yeah. I just, uh, I went bike camping this past weekend and I, uh, forgot about a banana that made it to the bottom of a pannier. Oh. And I was like, oh, oh, that's <laughs> awful. It's like a really terrible thing that happened in there. <laughs> um, yeah, they don't travel very well. So if you, uh, I know that you've done, you've done like some kind of bike tour. Cause I have a cool postcard of yours somewhere i should have it right here in fact but um like a little like bike tour packing list so what where have you where have you been to is that like a thing that you have done occasionally or um where have you gone with that mm, so the bike, the bike the bike tour packing list postcard was drawn by my friend amelia greenhall she lives in the bay area and it was inspired by a bike cramping trip she took in eastern oregon oh awesome um i've been bike camping twice in my life actually <laughs> and the first time was to Long Beach, Washington, uh, which was a lot of fun. Um, we stayed in tents, and it was me and some friends. And then the second time, I went by myself uh, down along sort of the Willamette Valley and stayed in motels and didn't have as much fun. Um, but I, my favorite part of bike camping and really biking anywhere is stopping and eating blackberries from the side of the road. Blackberries are like a horribly invasive species in Oregon, and they really grow everywhere in these huge brambles, and um, they shouldn't be there, and they're terrible, and they should be eradicated, but oh my gosh, they're so delicious, and when you're like on a long, sweaty bike ride, and you're thirsty and hungry and need a break, it's the best thing ever is to stop and just fill your water bottle and stuff your face. I remember the first time I did that, I was with a Women on Wheels meetup group, and we did um, the Saw the Island loop and stop and everybody stopped and was like eating blackberries and i'm from new jersey and i was uh really like indoctrinated with like you don't eat berries off the side of the road because they could be poisonous <laughs> and i was just like everybody is really just okay with this so i guess that this is okay <laughs> so yeah but it but it was good because i did not bring a snack with me that day and it was going to be a while before we got to uh, to a place where I could get a snack. And so once I was okay with eating blackberries off the side of the road, I was like, these are amazing. It's a little scary, though, for a minute. <laughs> but they're, but they're delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I want to know, like, what else have I not asked you that you want to, that you feel like you want to talk about? Uh, like, what else stands out to you? Um, I guess one of the things I always like to talk about because I'm most excited about it is um, books about bicycling. I write books, I publish books, I edit books, I read a lot of books, and I feel like one of the most exciting things going on right now in the bicycle movement that I see is sort of the rise of people writing in an interesting way about non-sports bicycling and sometimes about sports bicycling too but like there's all these kind of classic books like the rider that are about like like this poetic sense of bicycle athletics and this like kind of like you know written by old french guys or whatnot and kind of give you a sense of like what it's like to be sort of striving for glory 
on a bicycle and seeing the rise of books being written and also books being read about kind of people's everyday experiences getting around under their own power really makes me excited. So that's my favorite thing that I get to be part of every day. Yeah, it's that's like, I'm glad that you said that. It's really super cool to to witness that and to um, like kind of watch that catalog grow. And, and to be part of it. And, and to, yeah, thank you. And to, <laughs> and to be part of it, that's actually like really cool. Um, I had mentioned to you that I had interviewed Emily on her, her podcast at the time that we're, you and I are recording this, her podcast like released yesterday. So, um, we didn't talk about Velocipede races like too much during that because I was, uh, had still just was in the beginning part of that, but, um, like really fantastic to kind of like get this stuff out there so that more people can experience it and get a sense of wonder and, um, as a, as writers, you sort of think about like, what books do I wish I had read mm-hmm. when I was younger? And, um, that's definitely one that would have been pretty, pretty cool to experience at a younger age for sure. I know. Right. If only we could go back in time and be 15 again and know what we know now. Yeah. But oh my I goodness. Just as well. We can't. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it all has its place in time, but, um, w- I wonder like what piece of advice you would give to, to new riders or to women who would like to ride a bicycle, but sort of feel like it's for other people or wherever you want to go with that. Mm, Interesting. Yeah. I do hear a lot of people kind of try to figure out how they fit into bicycling and how they fit into communities around bicycling and where, like how they want to identify themselves as a person who rides or doesn't ride or sometimes rides a bike and I would say the bicycle, it's like, it's great and all, but it's just a machine. So if it works for you, make it work for you. And if it brings you together with other people that you get along with, that's awesome. But there's no like one way to do it or wrong way to do it. Or, you know, I mean, there's basic traffic laws and safety things that are probably a good idea, but aren't actually the same everywhere. So I would say, you know, don't worry about it and have fun with it as much as you can. Make it work for you and um, forget the rules and uh, the man. Sorry, can I say that on your podcast? Sure. Yeah, there, yeah, you sure can. So, I but I love that. I think that that's, I think <laughs> that that's great um, because that's exactly what it's about. And we're like, who is it? Like Zig Ziglar said, if you waited for all the lights to turn green, you'd never get to work in the morning. <laughs> you know, so it's like you can't wait for you can't wait for it to be like the right thing or the or the perfect thing. You just gotta like, if you want to start, you just gotta start. Exactly. Cool. Um, Ellie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me this morning. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you hanging out through the Skype fuzziness and everything else. I, um, I'm honored. Hey, it's an honor to be on. Well, there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ellie. Again, I really appreciate her patience during Skype. She was a trooper. Uh, You can find the show notes at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride006. Next week, we welcome to the joyride doula and adventurer, M. Flynn. Although, hopefully, those things are not happening at the same time. But I'll bet if anyone could pull off being an adventure doula, it would be M. Wait till you meet her. If you or someone that you know would be a good fit to be a guest on the Joyride podcast, please go to bit.ly 
forward slash joyride guest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash joyride guest and drop me a line. As always, I appreciate your time and attention. Remember, friends, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Take care of yourselves and each other. Keep moving forward. And until next time, I hope you enjoy the ride. <laughs>